Brother Dave was talking about in the sanctuary class um, some of the songs that, a lot of the songs he was talking about singing growing up were songs that we sang. And uh, we have similar backgrounds. And we were talking about one of those songs. He was talking about one of those songs that we used to sing. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And I was thinking about that as they were singing the deep theological richness of that one verse that we used to sing. We loved it. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where down in my heart? Where down in my heart? And then we go on. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch! It was deep theological stuff. I told them I don't know what attack does to the devil, but we enjoyed singing it. Anyway, um, have your copy of God's word handy, please, as we're going to be in the scripture today. And I must confess, there are some weeks that I wish there were more days between Sunday and Sunday. I've often uh, joked with people as a pastor. Uh, there are basically two or three days a week. There's Sunday and then there's a day in between. It's Wednesday and then it's Sunday again. And uh, I wish there were more days between uh, Sunday and Sunday this week, not because I don't love you, not because I don't want to see you. It's just that some Sundays I don't feel like I've had enough time to really prepare the message like I want to. I feel like I need more time to read and pray and study. Uh, But like it or not, Sunday comes week after week in a fresh sermon must be delivered. So my confession this morning to you is this is a message that's a work in progress. Uh, you're going to get what's done. But to be truthful, I don't know if it would ever be done. Um, the subject we're going to talk about this morning is one that I'd like to do a whole sermon series on one day. But even then, I think there would still be left um, some things that we wanted more time to study and to ponder and to meditate Now, uh, I want to encourage you to take notes today. We're going to cover a lot of material in a short amount of time. There's a blank side in your bulletin if you want to take some notes. I'm going to cover a lot of material in a short time. I hope you can listen fast. But I'm talking about a subject that um, John MacArthur called the ultimate priority. The ultimate priority. I'm talking about what we were born to do. I'm talking about the reason we exist to start with. I'm talking to you today about the theme of worship. Worship. Now, you remember here in 2017, our memory verse, our theme verse, our focus verse, we're seeking to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. I hope you've got this memorized. If not, you will hopefully by the time we're done. Say it with me again, would you, this morning? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And if you're going to live with a heart of wisdom, if you're going to make your days count, this is the priority in life. Worship. The priority. That's why we're in church today. That's why we're on planet Earth to begin with, to worship God. But worship is so highly misunderstood, especially in the day in which we live. So I want to take the next few minutes and I want to answer some very basic questions concerning worship. And then we're going to end up in a passage of Scripture and I'm going to show you an example of worship. Now, I want to encourage you to jot some notes down. We're going to move rapidly but some basic questions concerning worship and then an example of worship in the Scripture. First question I want to tackle today is this one. What is worship? What is worship? Well, I need to tell you, it's more than just a Sunday church meeting. And it's more than just the songs that we sing, our worship music. So many people, when they talk about worship, they think it only applies to the music that we sing. But what is worship? Worship is one of those words that's hard to define. 
you have a sense, you understand what it means, but it's hard to articulate it. It's hard to put it in a definition. It's hard to write it out. What does worship mean? Our word worship comes from um, and means the word uh, words worthship, worthship. That is, we worship God because he's worthy. He has worthship. Let me give you a couple of brief definitions real quick that I ran across. This first one's a very basic definition from Philip Nation. He wrote that worship is giving your affections to someone or something. That's a very basic definition. That is not even necessarily a God word. It would include that, but it's just a very basic. Worship is giving your affections to someone or something. Let me give you a little more in-depth definition from Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney said worship is the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It's being preoccupied with God. It's the God-centered focus and response of the inner man. It is being preoccupied with God. But I like John MacArthur's one. It was a little bit shorter and more direct. He said worship is honor and adoration directed to God. Worship is honor and adoration directed to God. So we notice that true worship is God-centered. He is the focus of our worship. If you go in your Bible and you look at the Hebrew and the Greek words, you know, we have an English Bible, thankfully. We have our English Bible here, but it's translated from the Hebrew and the Greek primarily. And when you look at the words that are translated worship in the Old and New Testaments, when you put their meanings together, according to one author, it involves both attitudes and actions. It involves attitudes like awe. And reverence and respect, attitudes, but it also involves actions, bowing and praising and serving. So there's two parts to it. There's the attitude and there's the action. And they write true worship is balanced and involves the mind, the emotion and the will, the mind, the emotion and the will. As one said, it worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that he is. All that we are, mind, emotion, will, body, all that we are responding to all that he is. Jesus talked about that. He said in Matthew 12, 29 and 30, the first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first Commandment. So it's all that we are responding to all that God is. Someone has noted that Paul described worship perfectly in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Look at Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The King James renders it your reasonable service. Here it is spiritual worship. And so that describes worship. You have the motivation for worship, God and his mercy. I I appeal to you, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, based upon who God is and what he's done. There's the motivation for worship. And then you have the means of worship, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, as a spiritual sacrifice, as spiritual worship. So what is worship, basically? Well, worship is all that we are responding to all that God is. It's our offering of honor and adoration and worship to God, which brings us to a second basic question. 
And that is this. Why do we worship? Why do we worship? Well, if we were to sit down after church and talk unhindered, unhurried, you and I, and we were talking about worship. We said, well, preacher, why do we worship in the first place? I would give you three main answers, and I want to give them to you real quickly. Now, I told you, listen fast today. We've got a lot of ground to cover. First of all, I'd say, well, we worship because God created us to worship. God created us to worship. We are worshiping creatures. Go to the deepest, darkest jungle somewhere where maybe they've never seen anybody from the outside world. And you go and you visit that tribe or that place. And you know what you're going to find? They worship someone or something or perhaps many things. Worship is built into them. Cicero in the first century B.C. observed that religion, regardless of its form, was a universal trait of man. Everybody worships someone or something. Did you know that? Everybody worships someone or something. There's something or someone in their life they give their honor, their adoration, their attention, their praise, their worship. They may not even realize it, but everybody worships someone or something. We're all worshipers. And so the first reason that we worship is because we were created to worship. That's the way God made us. But secondly, God commands us to worship. Jot these references down if you would. Psalm 29, verse 2. Psalm 29, 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's not a great issue. God says worship the Lord. Psalm 95, verse 6. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Do you see the two elements? You have the attitude. You have the action. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, when Satan is tempting him in Matthew 14, you know, Satan desires worship. He wanted Jesus to worship him. Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And so God did not leave us to our own devices. He wired us for worship and then he commanded us, hey, I'm the one that you're to worship. But there's a third reason, and that's this. God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. I hope you've noticed a theme today. We sang in the beginning, oh, worship the king. Then we sang, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We've worshiped in song. But God is worthy of our worship. Jot down this reference, Revelation 4.11. Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, that's Jesus, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our worship. All that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, all that we are, responding to all that He is. Now remember, true worship is God-centered. And the more we get to know God, the more we want to worship Him. One of the reasons I believe that people struggle with their worship is because they don't know God very well. When you begin to know God, 
You realize just how worthy he is of your worship and your praise. I try to remember, beloved, as, I, as, as often as possible, when I come here to lead a sermon or preach a sermon or lead a service, my main job is to show you and help you to see just how great God is. That's my purpose for being here. To lead in worship. To help you to see just how great our God is. My primary task is to be a worship leader. Now, in the churches today, you say, well, the worship leader is the one who leads the song. Now, the worship leader should be whoever's here doing whatever it is they're doing. They should be leading in worship. Whether it's a pastor, the song leader, the choir leader, whoever it may be. My primary task is to be a worship leader. First of all, to worship God personally as I'm here. I'm worshiping God and then to help lead you in worship. Well, two questions down. Two to go. We're doing pretty good. Y'all still with me? You're jotting fast. Third question. Who do we worship? Who do we worship? Now, to be quite honest, every person has to answer this for themselves. But I can tell you today, based upon the word of God, who we're supposed to worship, who we ought to worship. And that's God alone. Jot this reference down. You're familiar with it. Exodus 20 verses two through five. You know, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, two through five. Verse two says of Exodus 20, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. Exodus 20, verse 5, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. We are to worship God alone, period. Worship God alone. And that's why it's so important that we know God. So we can worship God. Jesus gave us some very important instructions when it comes to worship. I want to share this passage with you. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And I don't think we could discuss worship without discussing this passage. At least not fully. John 4, 23 and 24. I have it on the screen before you if you want to follow along or in your work, copy of your Bible. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers. Now, I want to be a true worshiper, don't you? When the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and truth. Now, the next part's really amazing to me. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Let me just stop for a moment. You realize that God is complete and totally complete within himself. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anybody. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the three in one. We're absolutely, totally complete. And yet in grace and mercy and love, they created us knowing that we're going to sin, knowing we we're going to rebel, knowing that Jesus Christ would have to die for us later. But they wanted fellowship with us. And they desire our worship. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. How? In spirit and in truth. Look at verse 24. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship how? In spirit and truth. And so if we're going to be true worshipers, we must worship in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus says. Now, if Jesus says that, then we have to talk about what the word does that mean? How do we worship in spirit and in truth? Well, to worship in spirit means that we worship from the inside, from the inner being. 
It is sincere. It is true. It is right hearted. It's not just an outward show. It's not just motions. It comes from the inside out. We're truly worshiping him from within. And then it says not only from the spirit, our spirit, but we're also to worship in truth. That is, we're to be guided by the truth. Well, how do we know what truth is? Well, you hold it in your hands right now. Our worship is guided by the truth of the word of God. Now, we cannot know God apart from the word of God. God has revealed himself in creation. And I'm thankful for that. No, uh, all or without excuse, Romans says. But to really know God, I, mean, I can observe some things looking at creation. But to really know God, I have to come to his word and be guided by the truth. And we cannot know God properly apart from the revelation of God himself in his word. And that's why so much of our time here is spent in the word of God. We don't just come and just hang out. But that's good. We do that from time to time in fellowship. But why do we have so much emphasis on the word of God? You came to Sunday school this morning and the majority of your time, I hope, was spent where? In the word of God. Here we are in this service. We give at least half of the time. What? To the word of God. Why? Because the word of God teaches us about God himself. And we have to know God so we can truly worship God in spirit from within based upon the truth of God. The Bible gives us the proper instruction of who God is and how God wants to be worshipped. We're not left to ourselves. So we don't go out today and say, well, you know, I'm going to take this tree and I'm going to carve it down and let it represent God. No, God says you have no other gods before me. Don't make any kind of image or anything like that. The children of Israel try to do that, by the way, while Moses is up on the mountain. Get the Ten Commandments. They take and they form a golden calf. And well, this represents God. No. God tells us how he wants to be worshipped. And he told us, I want you to worship how? In spirit, from within. It's right hearted. It's true. It's sincere. It really is worship in spirit and in truth based upon who I've revealed myself to be. The truth of the word of God. Now, we're not done. There's another question. When do we worship? Now, I'm assuming that you're convinced that God is the only one worthy of our worship. So now comes the question, when do we worship? Well, let me just tell you right now, not just on Sundays at church. Now, God help us to do that. I hope that's why you're here. I pray that's what we're doing right now as the preaching is going on. As you're listening to the word of God, that we truly are worshiping him, exalting him, um, giving him honor and adoration and obedience and praise. But the question is, is that the sum total of our worship? It shouldn't be. A.W. Tozer said, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him one day a week. Hmm. There's kind of two aspects to our worship. There's a public aspect and there's a private aspect. Public worship, that's going on right now. That's corporate worship. That's the body getting together. Even a couple of believers getting together. Where we're worshiping together. That's church. This is right. This is what God told us to do. There's the public aspect, but then there's the private aspect of our worship. And by the way, we need both. And the Bible teaches both. And those who say, well, I don't need the church and I don't need to go to church to worship God. Well, then you disagree with God and his word. 
We just studied a little while ago, right? Not forsaken the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more. Exhorting one another as we see the day, as we see the Lord Jesus coming again. And so there's the idea of public worship. We do that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You're here, and I hope that you're worshiping. But then there's the idea of private worship. Now, I want to share with you a scene of worship in the New Testament. And I want to ask you, if you would, to go to Acts chapter 16. And I'll be honest with you, this would probably not have been my first choice as an example of worship. But the reason I chose is because I was reading and praying through this passage in my own personal time in the Word. And I've studied this passage before. I'm sure I've preached on it before. But as I was reading it and thinking about today and thinking about worship, as I read it again, as I meditated, as I prayed through it, I saw worship taking place in the most unusual place. Acts chapter 16. We'll begin at verse 16 to kind of set the scene. Acts 16, verse 16. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Now, picture in your mind, they're going along. Paul, here's this. Girl, these these men, these men, they show us the way of salvation. And I love, I love what it says in verse 18. This she did for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed. You ever been greatly annoyed? Here's Paul, greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of that very hour. But here's the problem. He touched the master's pocketbooks. But when her master's, verse 19... So their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them. By the way, you do right, you obey God, opposition is going to come. They rose together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the socks. I want you to notice verse 25. But, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Read it again. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And as I thought about that and meditated upon that, I I came up with a sentence I want to share with you. We're going to build a sentence together. Three quick thoughts from that verse, verse 25, and what goes on here. First of all, I learned and I was reminded that worship is appropriate any time. Worship is appropriate any time. What time is it when this is going on? Midnight. Would you agree they had a rough day? (laughs) 
out doing God's work and they're taken and the clothes stripped off and beaten with many stripes and thrown in their prison. But at midnight, they turn to worship. In fact, can I just say to you, probably the best time or one of the best times to turn your heart to God is in the midnight hours. Often it's at midnight when the worries start rolling in. Often it's at midnight when the temptation to do that which is wrong might be strong. Often at midnight it's when you're wrestling with some of those tough choices in life and some of those decisions you've got to make and you're not sure what to do. At midnight, they turn their focus, their attention, their adoration upon the Lord. They're praying and they're singing hymns to God. And God-centered worship is taking place in Paul and Silas's life at midnight. It reminded me that as a child of God, worship is appropriate any time. But I want to add to the sentence another word. It's not only appropriate any time, it's also appropriate anywhere. You don't have to be in church to worship. Don't you remember you worship in spirit? From the inner man, the inner being, from the heart. And so wherever you are, you can worship. Let me just say this, too. If you can't freely worship where you are, you need to get out of there. Don't go where you can't freely worship. That's a good sign. If you can't worship, you probably shouldn't be there in the first place. But you can lift your heart and worship anywhere at any time. It's appropriate. Paul and Silas are in prison. And not just in prison, they're in the inner prison. Their feet are in stalks, and yet they're worshiping God. Their feet are bound, but their hearts were not. They could lift their voices in prayer and praise. They were singing hymns to God. They were not focused on their surroundings. They were not focused upon their circumstances. They were not focused upon their troubles. They were focused upon God. Worship is appropriate anytime, anywhere. There's a third thought. It's appropriate in the presence of anyone. Read the verse to you again and notice the last part. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And this says in my Bible, and the prisoners were listening to them. I try to put myself in their shoes. They're there in the prison, the inner prison. The other prisoners are here and they're, they're praising God. They're praying, they're singing. The other prisoners are listening You reckon some of the other prisoners thought those guys are crazy. They're absolutely crazy. Do you reckon some big burly guy down the cell block said, hey, knock it off down there. I don't know. But they heard him. Paul and Silas did not let the presence of those who did not know God keep them from worshiping the God that they knew. They were not shy or bashful to speak of God. They were not ashamed to lift their voice in prayer and song. Are we? Now listen, I'm not advocating we flaunt it because that's not true worship. Going around saying, hey, I'm worshiping now. That's not worship. That's self-worship. That's pride. But if God so impresses your heart and you're in a place and your heart is lifted in worship, do you let the presence of someone who does not know God hinder your worship? Because true worship, beloved, is appropriate anytime, anywhere, and in the presence of anyone, no matter who they are. If your heart is lifted in worship, 
And here's the interesting thing, beloved. They worshiped in that place at that hour in those circumstances. And God did some amazing things. In fact, let's pick it up back at verse 25 and see what God did. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Incredible. Verse 27. And the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he, that is the prison keeper, called for a light, ran in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You talk about a change in scene. (laughs) A few minutes before they're there, they've been beaten, they're hurting, they're sore, their feet are in stalks. Hey, this was not a nice place to be. They're in the inner prison, dirty, foul, stench, horrible. Yet they're lifting their voices in worship to God. And God literally shakes the earth and looses them and brings a man trembling to their feet, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? To know this God that you sing about. So they said, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They go from that. They're worshiping. They're witnessing. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God. With all of his household. Now we've got to hurry. But let me just say to you, beloved, this is the proper order here. Please get this down. We worship God before we work for God. We worship God before we work for God. Lean in real close. Warren Wearsby has some great words to say about this. He said, I'm convinced that everything the church is supposed to do in this world. So everything we're supposed to do as a church is a byproduct of spiritual worship. He says it includes evangelism, missions, giving, works of mercy, education, personal holiness and service. He says, first, God calls us to worship. And then he sends us out to witness and to work. One of the reasons we struggle so much sometimes is because we get that reversed. Well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to witness and work. But you haven't spent time in worship. He said God wants worship to come first because only then are we energized by His power to bring glory to His name. As I spend time in the presence of God, worshiping God, ascribing worth and honor to Him, considering who He is, it motivates me then to go out and to work and witness for Him. He said, and I agree with Him, Worship is the most important activity of a local church family. It's the most important thing we do. Ministry must flow out of worship. Otherwise, it's busy activity 
without power and without heart. And I think about my own life. I think about my years in church. How much of it's just been busy activity. No power, no heart. Just going through the motions because I haven't stopped and spent time in worship. Please catch this. Everything is to flow from worship. Our missions, our service, our works of mercy, our giving, everything is the flow from worship. Beloved, can I just say to you today, worship is the most important thing we do. It's the most important thing we do personally. It's the most important thing we do as a church family. And it's something that we can do and should do anywhere, anytime and around anyone. You can lift your heart and worship. Now, beloved, I've got to be honest with you. We need more time. We've only scratched the surface. But I think the lesson is clear so far. Is it not? Worship the Lord. It's the most important thing you will ever do in your life. And everything else should flow from that. Let me just remind you of this, too, before we close up shop. We sang about it a moment ago, but I want to remind you, Christian, do you realize we've talked about today is what we're going to be doing 10,000 years from now and 10 million years from now and 10 trillion years from now? Our praise shall flow forevermore. And I have to wonder, I'll be honest with you, about someone who names the name of Jesus And they say they belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to them. And yet they can barely stand to worship the Lord for an hour. One day a week. What are they going to do in heaven? What are they going to do in heaven? I think the problem is with our worship, don't you? We're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're not really worshiping God the way we ought. Because we don't know God. The way we are, because the more we know God, the more we will worship him. Father, help us to learn these lessons. I feel so inadequate preaching this today. Lord, I I don't know if we've even scratched the surface because you are marvelous and glorious. And you're worthy of all of our worship. I pray if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior and Lord. That we come to faith in Christ just as this jailer did and his family. They would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. And then, Lord, for those of us who belong to you, I pray your spirit to really, really examine and reveal to us where we are in regards to this most important topic. Worship. To examine our attitudes and our actions. Lord, to see if we truly are a true worshiper. One who worships in spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, have your will and your way in this invitation, I pray. Thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I could not think of a more appropriate hymn to close the service than number three. Worthy of worship, worthy of praise.
And as we sing today, the altar is open. If we can help you in some way, we'd love to do that. If you just want to come and pray or just come and kneel and worship, I think that's a most appropriate thing. As worship is appropriate anytime, anywhere, and in the presence of anyone. Would you come as God leads you? Number three, worthy of worship, worthy of praise. Let's sing this. Thank you.